My um, title for today is a really exciting one for you guys. <laughs> it's Now I Can Die, which isn't usually what we um, all would just start saying, but it is today's one because somebody in the Bible actually said this. Um, Chapo talked a lot last week about how there was a whole nation of people for hundreds of years who were looking forward to finally seeing the one that God sent. And we celebrate that every year around Christmas time. We remember that little baby in a manger who is the one that God sent. And today I wanted to look at part of the Christmas story and two people in particular in that Christmas story that don't really get featured when it comes to our nativity scenes and our plays. And they don't really get sung about in our Christmas carols and our songs, but yet their story is quite amazing. So... We like to use the Word of God here at C4 Church. We like to read our Bibles. If you have one on your phone, that is acceptable. If you have your own, that is great. If you would like one, we have people who hand out Bibles. And if you pop your hand up, they would love to deliver one to you. It is our very friendly Marcus today. And he's more than happy to do that for you. So we can all read along. And the good news is we're all actually... Only on one page in the Bible today, so no jumping around. You just, once you find it, you found it, which is great news. All right. Now, there's a saying, and it goes, good things come to those who wait. Is that one that you guys have heard? I'm pretty sure my mum used to say it to me when I was a kid, because I was being impatient and I needed to wait. And I found out when I was looking up this saying, that in America, they actually say all things come to those who wait. And I'm like, that's, that's a totally outside of my realm of thinking because I didn't even know that it's like a whole other language over there. Um, so you may have heard it, all things come to those who wait as well. And then when I was Googling, I thought maybe I could find like a cool story about it. One of the top things in Google when you start putting in good things come to those who wait is people asking where in the Bible you can find this saying. It is actually just an old English proverb from around the 1600s or the 1800s, they're not really exactly sure, but it's certainly not in the Bible. Ideas of patience and providence are in the Bible, but this actual verse is not in the Bible. And I don't really believe that it really holds up to what it talks about, because sometimes being passive doesn't actually help us. (laughs) But Have you ever waited for a really long time, maybe longer than Ian waiting for those chocolates that he got? Have you ever waited for something that you really, really wanted, but it took a long time to get it? Has it been something wonderful that you just desperately wanted? Maybe it was news. A couple of generations back, when somebody went overseas or when somebody went to war, they had to anticipate and wait for a letter to find out how their loved one was going. And they couldn't just Snapchat each other on the daily, a picture of each other. They had to wait weeks and months to get a response to the letter that they had written. Which is really hard when you're young and in love and you want to talk to somebody or when somebody's, you're not sure if they're safe and you want to speak to them. Um, have you ever saved up for something that you desperately wanted? Charlotte's been doing a really awesome job of this lately. She's got money in her money box. She's saving up to buy a toy that I think is called a kitty surprise. She calls it a cat that has babies. And there's been times when she says, Mum, I really want an icy pole from the canteen today. And I say, okay, well, if you'd like that, you can get the money out of your money box or you can leave it in there to save up for your cat that has babies. And she's been choosing to keep saving that money because that's something that she really wants. 
Is anybody at this time of year hanging out for a holiday? Yeah, I know sometimes you work so hard and you think, oh, it's got to be just around the corner. My brother-in-law has currently, um, in the new year, will not be having any annual leave until the end of the year at all. He can't afford to take any annual leave days because he's going overseas to France to stay with his wife's family. And so he's like, well, all of my annual leave is banked in that. So if you guys want me to do anything, I can't. And he's already let us know that he's really looking forward to and investing all of his eggs in the France basket. Have you ever spent a long time trying to achieve something? Maybe a university degree like Kalia, who took seven years to finish her theology. (laughs) But even in doing it in the four-year period, it felt like 100 years to me. It felt like such a long achievement doing all those assignments and all those exams and plugging away at getting through and slowly getting there. Or maybe for those of you who've just finished your HSC, you felt like that was going to take a whole lifetime to finish. And really, 12 years of school is quite a long time. Has anybody waited a long time for love to come into their life, to find that white person who has decided, you know, this person is great, but they're not really the person that I need to be holding out for. This, is, this person is lovely, this person is nice, this person looks good, but I'm actually going to just think about what do I want from the future, what are my goals, what does God want for my life and does this person fit? Maybe I'll just wait. Has anybody waited for a child? I've got really good friends who've been through IVF and the, just watching them go through that was just really brutal for them. Like it was physically taxing and emotionally burdensome that they just waited and waited desperately for this beautiful baby that they wanted. When Charlotte was three years old, two days after her birthday, she said, Mum, can you go to the shops and buy me another birthday? I said, that's not how it works. (laughs) Darling, we have to wait a whole other year to get our next birthday. And I don't know if any of you are really excited Christmas people and really struggle when it comes to Boxing Day and you have to wait a whole other year for another Christmas. Or maybe you linger with leaving your Christmas decorations up for as long as possible so you can just get those Christmas vibes. Well, the first Christmas story is one that is full of anticipation because a lot of people had been doing a whole lot of waiting in their lives. So turn with me in your Bibles. Oh, I want to tell you from this story. From this story, I want to tell you that Jesus is for everyone. I want to tell you that God uses our availability And I want to tell you that Jesus is everything. And that's what this part of the Christmas story tells me. So turn with your Bibles in Luke chapter 2. And once you find it on page 702, you don't have to find any more pages. Luke chapter 2 verse 22. Now I'm just going to read verse 22 to 24 to start. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Bethlehem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, you guys are probably sitting there and being like, we know why this isn't in the Christmas story, Bethany. It's very boring and not very exciting. For a Jewish person reading this story in the first century, this was actually really exciting because it tells us that the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, the one that God has sent is in the exact place where he ought to be, in the temple, in the place where all the religious things happen, in the spiritual mecca of where God should be doing things. It also tells us that Jesus was born 
to parents who kept God's laws. Four times just in this passage alone, it tells us that they did what they needed to do, that they did what was required of them, that they did what the law said. They are faithful. They are obedient to God. And so Luke, the writer of this book of the Bible, he wants us to know as we read through the life of Jesus, he wants us to remember the origins of this man and where he came from and that he comes from a faithful, obedient, godly family. They want us to know that Jesus isn't just some loose, crazy rebel, but that he was raised right and that his background is a good one. The other thing that it tells us is that his parents offer turtle doves, which suggests that they are not wealthy because wealthy people offered lambs. And if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you got two doves. So he's not a well-off guy. Then we meet somebody else. And there's quite a large chunk of text dedicated to this person. So I'm just going to read through from 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So a large chunk of this is what he says, word for word, the prophecy that he makes over Jesus. This man is called Simeon. Simeon, it tells us, is a righteous man. That term righteous in the Old Testament is used to describe prophets and very important patriarchs, people who kept God's laws and followed God well. Devout, or another word for that, pious, is in Greek and it shows us that he is a man who has a position of honour, that he's respected in his community and that he's not just an ordinary everyday guy, he's somebody who's important. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke wants us to know that he is a wise and older man who walks with God and he is expecting that God will deliver Israel. In fact, it is the the thing that he is expecting to the point where he says, now you can take me away, now I can die. I don't care what happens after this. And he says this beautiful prophecy about Jesus and over his parents. He lets them know that God fulfills his promises And he is so excited that God has fulfilled everything that he has promised in the Bible so far in this one person that he has just finally met. He tells us that Jesus is God's salvation for the whole world. And it also mentions to Mary that following Jesus is hard and that path can be difficult, not only for Jesus, but for Mary who has to watch him die on the cross. And then it's also an example for us who are followers of Jesus as well. It's not always an easy path to take. But the whole thing is filled with praise and amazement and excited because this is the child they've been waiting for. 
the next person we read doesn't get 10 verses. They only get three. But they're really packed full of words that tell us a lot about this person. And also a little bit of mystery that doesn't tell us much about this person. And Luke does that sometimes just because he likes for us to think about what the story might be. Just because he likes to not just give us word for word everything into our mouths. It says, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. How old was she? Very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple and worshipped day and night, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I just realised I left that on... um That's what I was actually just reading. All right, so this person is called Anna. And it doesn't tell us the exact words that she says, like it tells us what Simeon says, but tells us quite a lot about her. Her name, Anna, is a bit like Hannah in Hebrew. So it reminds us of a woman in the Old Testament who prayed to God for a child and then brought that child and gave that that child to God to serve in the temple and to be chosen by God and to be special by God. And so when we think of Hannah, we think, oh, this child must be special that we're about to meet. She's the only named female prophetess in the New Testament. It tells us her father's name. It does not tell us what her husband's name was, but it tells us that she did have one once. So that means that she never remarried after her husband died. And it tells us that he didn't have a brother or a cousin or an uncle who came and stepped in and said, I will marry this man's widow because she is part of my family, which is what they used to do in those days. And it was called leverate marriage, which meant that you looked after the women in your family so that they weren't alone and in poverty. And it talks about her age. Now, in the Old Testament, you get a whole lot of this person lived for this amount of years, this person lived for this amount of years, but not so much in the New Testament. And here it tells us her age. Now, there's debate as to whether she is 84 years old or whether she lived 84 years as a widow after the seven years of marriage and the first part of her life until she was a teenager, which would make her about 105. And so, either way... She is old as. She is a really old lady. She's either 84 or 105. If she's 105, she's been waiting a long time for this day, to meet this baby. It tells us that day and night she has been praying, that she has been devoted to God and that the focus of her life has been waiting and praying and that she is a spiritual woman. Isn't that beautiful, just that picture of constant service, of perseverance, of faithfulness, that in the morning that you would say, hey, Anna, where are you going today? Everybody would already know that what she was doing today was going to the temple to pray to God because that's what she did every day. So this story in the Bible, it tells me that Jesus is for everyone. Now, there is a song that Chapo likes and the actual song part, It's a lot like, like that, Um, which sometimes I go, okay, I can't listen to this in the car right now. It's making me angsty. But um, at the beginning of the song, there's this really wonderful speech, and I really like it. And the um, band that sings it is called Life In Your Way, if you want to look it up. And I can't actually remember what the song is called. 
but life in your way is the band if you like that kind of noise when you listen to songs. But this is what they say at the beginning. It says, some of you need to hear this for the first time. And so this is from our hearts. The kingdom of God is for the burnouts, the broken and the broke, the drug addicts, the divorced, the HIV positive, the herpes ridden, the hopeless, for the outcasts that have been created by the church and for the outcasts of our society that have been created by us. The kingdom of God is for the brain damaged, the incurably ill, for the barren, for the pregnant too many times and the pregnant at the wrong time. This is for the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployable and the unemployed. This is for the swindled, the shoved aside, the left aside, the replaced, the incompetent and the stupid. This is for the emotionally starved and the emotionally dead. The kingdom of God is for the bigoted, the murderers, the child molesters, the brutals, the drug lords, the terrorists, the perverted, the raging alcoholics, the overconsumers, the incredibly ugly, the dumb, the ignorant, the starving, the filled and the filthy rich. The kingdom of God is for everyone and the kingdom of God is for me. So powerful. This text tells us that there needs to be two people for a story to be legitimate, to witness something. So if, some, if a story is going to stand up as true, it needs two witnesses. Now Luke tells us that these two witnesses, one is male and one is female. And that is really important because the kingdom of God is for everybody. So far, if you read through Luke, and this is just in chapter 1 and 2, we see that the kingdom of God, those who see Jesus born are senior citizens, are young people, are rural shepherds, are people in a crowded city, are Jewish people, are Gentiles, are foreigners who come with gifts. They are men and they are women. The kingdom of God is for every single person. And it's really amazing because Luke, in his gospel, really highlights that the kingdom of God is for every single person. And he really elevates women in his gospel. 27 times when he writes a story, he writes a story that is parallel and it's got two people in it and one is a man and one is a woman. And I love that about Luke. Um, he, he has a really beautiful way of putting together his gospel. Jesus used both men and women. He used the young and the old. He used every single person that would be willing in his kingdom. So I want you to know that Jesus is for everyone. The next thing that I want you to know is that God uses our availability. Now, in the text that we read, when Simeon finds the baby, he has this supernatural experience where he's going about his own business and the Holy Spirit says, go to this place. And he goes there and he sees the baby. And that's amazing. But that doesn't happen every day to everyone. Maybe some of you today... The Holy Spirit said to you, come to church. And I want you to know that if you did that, I was praying this morning that whoever needed to be here would be here, not because I'm talking, but because this is a community of God and that God needs to touch people's lives. But um, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes life is just quite ordinary. And I love that the story of Anna is the ordinary. Anna didn't get a supernatural, spiritual, hey, go and do this message from God. Anna was just in the right place at the right time. Anna was the person who showed up and kept showing up faithfully time and time again in the ordinary everyday life. A couple of weeks ago, I went to speak down in Sydney for my friend, Beryl Landers, who is the 
women's ministry director down in Sydney. And I went to speak for her and a group of ladies and she gets up the front to introduce me. And she goes, this woman is amazing. This woman is a woman of God. And she goes to tell this story about the first time that she met me. And she said, and granted, these things are true, but it sounded really like, like not me when she was saying it. And she goes, when I first met her, we caught a taxi together and she asked the taxi driver after talking to him about his life and his family if she could pray for him. And she did. And then she said, and when we were at the airport, there was a woman who was on her own with a couple of kids who was really struggling and heaps of bags. And she helped the woman with her bags. And I was just like, I'm not Mother Teresa, have mercy. Um, But you see, in that time, I was in Melbourne. I knew my children were safe and they were with somebody else. I was all by myself. I'd had time with God and I was feeling really available in those moments. But then I want you to also know that there are moments in my life when I feel really ordinary. I am standing here before you today after having looked after my really sick baby yesterday and being up in the nighttime. There are some times when I preach and I feel like, yes, this message is coming together and this is exactly what God wants me to speak. And there are other times when I come here and I preach and I think this has been like pulling teeth, but somebody has to stand here today and say words. Don't underestimate the ordinary, faithful, showing up life. Because Simeon, who heard a direct message from God, and Anna, who just kept on showing up and being faithful, they both got to see the baby Jesus. God uses our availability. The next thing that I want you to know is that Jesus is everything, which is why I have titled my sermon what I have today because the reaction of Simeon is crazy he's just like now I have seen this baby now I can die that's pretty much exactly what he says in those verses there in verse 28 29 whenever I have the privilege of being involved in a young person's baptism I always say to them congratulations on the best decision of your life because I really truly believe that choosing to follow Jesus is the best decision of your life and some of them are quite young some of them haven't chosen this person that they're going to be with and build a family with and spend life with some of them haven't chosen what their career path is going to be and what they're going to commit to some of them haven't figured out what they're passionate about and what their hobbies are and what brings them joy but they've chosen yeah I believe in Jesus I want to follow Jesus I want to be baptized Following Jesus really is the best decision that you can make in your whole life because everything else fits in around that and he gives you a new way of life. So Anna, she goes, I want to actually open my Bible back up again and tell you what Anna does. What page was it on? I don't have one of your Bibles. Okay, it's Luke chapter 2. <laughs> okay, so Anna in verse 38, it says this. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Something that we miss in English is a thing in the Greek that is called the imperfect tense. Now, it really did my head in when I was studying Greek that they had so many tenses because we don't do that. What the imperfect tense is, is it's continuous. So when it tells us that she gave thanks to God, It means that not just one time did she give thanks to God, but that she continued in giving thanks to God. 
And then it says that she went and told people, not just one time did she tell people what she had seen, but she continued, and I imagine probably for the rest of her life, however much more time she had on that epically length life, that she continued to thank God and to tell others about Jesus. And I love that it doesn't tell us her prophecy, even though it tells us that she's a prophetess. But it goes and tells us that she has a testimony and she tells it to every single person that she possibly can. This is the baby, the one we've been waiting for. He's finally here. God fulfills his promises. We have hope. And then Simeon, in verse 29, he says, the fan blew it. He says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. (laughs) He basically says, I have seen this baby and now I can die. It tells us how old Anna is. It does not tell us how old Simeon is. We know that he is older. We know that he is senior because of the way that he's perceived in the community. We don't know what his job is. We don't know what his family's like. We have no idea what he's giving up when he says, now I can die, and what the life he's living looks like. But what we do know is that when Simeon says this, he is telling the world that seeing Jesus is the ultimate accomplishment of his whole life, that Jesus is everything, which is amazing. So I want you to know this. Jesus is for everyone, and Jesus is for you if you want him to be. I want you to know that God uses your availability, sometimes in a supernatural way and sometimes because you just showed up. And I want you to know that Jesus is everything out of all of the things that we come across in this life. They don't compare even a shadow to him. We, like Anna and Simeon, at this time of year, we get a fresh set of eyes and a reminder that that baby came in a manger and that Jesus came to earth and took on human flesh, even though he was the God of the universe. I'm almost done. <laughs> and we get that fresh reminder, which I think is a real blessing that we live in a country that celebrates Christmas every year. And we have that opportunity for Jesus to speak to our hearts again, no matter what the rest of the year has done or where we've been or what it's looked like. So I want you to know today that everyone is invited regardless of their background or their circumstances, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And that includes you. And I want you to know that every single one of us, whether we're an ordinary person who just shows up or whether we're an extraordinary person who has divine conversations with God, that we each have an opportunity to respond to God's calling in our lives. And I want you to know that Jesus is for you and that he is everything What is your response to Jesus? Do you know him? Have you thought about him? Have you forgotten? Have you heard the story so many times that it seems really ordinary? Jesus is everything. So if you haven't already, ask him to come into your heart. And if you need to do it again, ask him to come into your heart newly and freshly in your life.